Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. I am delighted to welcome all the way from Singapore, Deacon Manu. Welcome to the show, Deacon. Hey, thanks, Dan. Uh, great to be here. I'm really looking forward to um, having a chat here about uh, what's been going on in, uh, in uh, my life um, and some of the, the key learnings that I've had so far. Okay, well, brilliant. So I think we could start by just giving us a little bit of a background to um, how you ended up in Singapore and what you're doing there, but also via a little bit of your rugby journey too. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess uh, from New Zealand, um, born and bred um, New Zealand, um, with a bit of a mixed heritage. Um, Dad was was Maori, um, and my mother Fijian. Um, so I grew up in a small town in New Plymouth. Went to um, a small little town um, and a small school with only five hundred boys um, from the age of eleven to seventeen. Um, and there, where I just actually my, my first passion was golf. Um, right. Before rugby, yeah. Um, and sort of when I hit um, sort of like 15, um, I was all the wrong body shape for golf. Um, that was before the days of John Daly. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so I thought, you know, rugby was probably a, a fit for me. Um, you know, growing up in New Zealand, you know, everybody wants to wants to play rugby. Um, and it just came together with, with friends and a mate from school. Um, and then from there sort of progressed, went to university up in the Waikato University. Um, and it wasn't until my, I think, third year, my final year of my um, my degree that I sort of got noticed um, on the rugby scene. So I missed out on all the uh, rugby academy stuff. Um, so I was able to enjoy university like a, like a normal student. Yeah, right. Um, and then from there, um, it escalated pretty, pretty quickly. Um, I made the um, junior All Black side, um, yeah, New Zealand under 21s, and we won the uh, Junior World Cup. Um, from there, and I got to play along to some greats, um, the Richie McCaws of this world, the Kevin Mialamus, the Tony Woodcox, um, all 100 cap All Blacks. I'm very fortunate to be there. It was just a, a great, great time to be able to play um, rugby. And then, you know, my first super contract with the Chiefs um, that I represented for. For six years, um, so who was Super who was coaching you at the Chiefs? Um, my first coach was uh, John Mitchell. Um, John Mitchell he had just done a stint over in England, um, obviously in the South Sharks, and then with the England national side. Um, he came over, um, and you know he was a a taskmaster um, in, in a good way. Um, sort of um, for me, it felt like I, I, this was a real step up. Um, he was just somebody that. Uh, knew what he was doing, um, experienced campaign, had a real passion for the game. You know, I learned so much about myself from those early times, um, about discipline, making sure I, um, you know, put the correct things um, in my body in terms of the nutrition, um, and trained hard, it's probably the hardest I've ever trained, um, you know, and I developed a lot and sharpened a lot of my tools in those, those early days. I've got, you know, a lot to um, attribute to my um, career from those, um, those early days of Super Rugby. Um, I had one year in the Blues. It was a, a good rugby year to go, go to the Blues. Um, we won it that year. We had a pretty much a, a rock star team. Um, and I, I was part of that, uh, you know, 
amazing team. You sort of see those those players and people sort of talk about them now. Um, you know, 15 plus years later, um, it, it was a special team. It was a special moment. Um, we had some amazing coaches there. Uh, Peter Sloan and Graham Henry um, before he took over the, uh, the All Black job. Um, and then from there, I uh, went over to, to Wales, um, played over there for eight years for the, the Clinically Scarlets, um, you know, which I had an amazing time there. I just mentioned to you before, you know, some of the beaches around New Zealand, <laughs> scenery and the people um, are really warm to. Um, you know, so the, who was, who was coaching you with the Scarlets? Uh, I had um, first full Davies, um, who um, was, was a great coach, very organised, um, had him for a couple of seasons. Um, then just had a number of other coaches right up through until Simon Easterby. Um, Simon Easterby was, uh, who, it was, it was kind of a strange transition. Um, we went from uh, actually firstly opposition uh, when we played in the Māori All Blacks versus the Lions um, and then teammates and then coach, uh, my coach, um, sort of so I saw the whole spectrum of of what uh, uh, of his whole career really. Um, so you got to play with some amazing, talented British and Irish Lions, but most importantly, some great people over in the Scarlets. Um, and over there, um, I decided to, to get capped um, for Fiji. Um, and you know, I was fortunate, I've very blessed at the, the right time, you know, I'm able to captain them to the, the Rugby World Cup um, and, and many other occasions. Um, you know, it's something that probably connected me with my um, the Fijian background, something that I I didn't really have a strong, overly strong connection growing up because um, my mum came over from Fiji when she was 18 years old. So I sort of lost a little bit of that. Um, that happens with so many people here and, um, you know, internationally now losing that connection. But to be able to play for Fiji, reconnect with my family over there um, and understand that culture on a deeper um, level, you know, really was something I was very thankful for and something I probably wouldn't have had a chance to have if I hadn't um, played rugby um, for, for Fiji. Um, and then, yeah, retired um, in 2014, moved up to Hong Kong, um, did some coaching over there with the, one of the, with the national side and the national women's side um, and some of the academies and some of the other clubs. Um, and then uh, moved over to New Zealand. So we know transitioned from coaching to education, um, which has always been my passion, um, even before rugby. Rugby sort of was something that got in the way of me and more study um, and then uh, went over to New Zealand to, to teach and coach at uh, St Andrews um, College, a yeah, fantastic school, fantastic setup. I'm um, really privileged to have, have gone there um, and then through to um, Singapore where I am now. I didn't really time with that right when I moved to Singapore, it was just before COVID, a week before COVID uh, oh, struck right. the, um, the globe um, but we're just sort of getting out of it now so it's been great to have some um, different tournaments coming up um, and plans we've managed to initiate um, the first of its kind for, for a few years here in, in Singapore. And what's your role in Singapore? Um, yeah, I'm teaching at uh, one of the British schools here, the international schools, um, Dulwich College. Oh, yeah. um, fantastic school, um, you know, one of the top international um, schools here over here in, in Asia. Um, you know, teaching sports science here at the moment, the IB. And uh, doing obviously the the coaching side of things as well, and just looking after the rugby program there, um, which, you know, which which provides um, both you know massive rewards and, and challenges at the same time being over here in Singapore. So, what sort of um, kids are you teaching? Are they uh, are they new to rugby? Have they got sort of rugby background? What's what's their what's their where have they come from to be on the rugby field with you? Yeah, a lot of them um, would. Uh, 
be relatively new to it, um, while others have sort of played with it. You know, we've got, um, it's quite interesting, yes, you, you ask um, one of the students, you know, who, who do you support? You know, we've got a few Harlequin supporters, we've got a few Bath supporters. Um, so there's a bit, bit of a range um, right across. Um, a lot of them will play club rugby. So the, the way it's set up here in Singapore um, is that uh, there are around about six um, clubs here in the um, junior um, rugby clubs. Um, and that's the amalgamation of all these clubs. And they they play every each other all the time, um, every week, and you know train every week as well as, as separate clubs. But then they feed, feed into the schools. Um, on top of that, you've got a local school system, um, which is very, very strong. Um, some of the local teams here where they get scholarships to, to play rugby um, at these local schools and they'll train three times a week at school. As, and um, that'll go not just for a season, but that'll go throughout the whole year. Right, okay. um, so you can imagine, yeah, they're, they're very serious. It's a very um, prestigious thing to win, the, the rugby competition. Something I didn't really know too much about before I came to Singapore, um, but it's great to, to meet and connect with uh, these people right across. And uh, it's great to see that, you know, you, you can be in New Zealand, Fiji, um, Wales, even here in Asia, and you, just the, the, the connections that you have and just the support and just the like-mindedness and just, you know, just trying to help each other out, um, you know, crosses borders and cultures, which is great. So in terms of the rugby program that you're running, um, how much input have you had or have you had to redesign it? I mean, what's what's been your uh, input into how you are coaching or what you're coaching? Yeah, um, uh, obviously look at the, the structure um, and, you know, I, I try and give back to as much as I can. So I do some voluntary work um, where I'm going to clubs um, and just putting in some structure, um, supporting the coaches and really just upskilling them. Um, I think the, the biggest loss for, for the modern game, there's a certain age group around about the, the early teens mm. uh, where, you know, they get distracted, other things come up, schoolwork, it's um, a, a lot heavier in terms of content um, and just being able to give them the best opportunity to have really good coaches because a lot of the players will watch hours and hours of uh, Super Rugby, the Premiership, the Six Nations, um, while the, their coaches probably don't get as much of a saturation of um, so much content. So these players know what's going on. They know the moves. They want to, They want them done. So, they, you know, they want coaches that are able to maybe not deliver to that level, uh, but they want them to have an, an understanding rather than just having the dad coach sort of coming on, chucking the ball and just playing a game of touch and a few lineouts and scrums and ready to play. So for me, it's sort of empowering some of those uh, parent coaches I think it's really important, especially to grow the game and keep people in the game, um, both here in Asia and I saw it um, also in New Zealand as well, um, just making sure. So that structure for me is is really key. Um, but for me, the, the biggest thing, the biggest change and what I bring from, I guess, a bit of my background um, with the um, New Zealand culture, um, with the Pacific Island culture, is just the actual the culture of rugby, what it is to be a team and, and looking after your friends. And that's something I'm really big at, something I try and integrate no matter what team I'm in and give a, a bit of a common goal, but a few traditions um, in each team so that, you know, things that they they, they, they remember um, and something that's quite powerful um, in terms of that, that rugby and that, that camaraderie. So when you're coming up with against, not up, so when you are talking to, not coming up against uh, the parent coach, where are you finding that they they lack the most? What are you having to deal with to really upskill them quickly on things that they lack maybe to start with? Yeah, I think what they, they certainly don't lack, um, I'll start with that, is the passion. Um, yeah, sure. Amazing. And just probably 
trying to calm that passion down and get that that, that channel right. Um, but that, that's so amazing. These people are giving their, uh, their own time just to try and better their, their, uh, the players. Um, it's awesome. That's what I really love about, uh, about sport and, and about rugby. Um, I guess one of the major things that I, I try and impart straight away is a little bit of a technical things. Uh, a lot of them will just have loads of questions. Um, a lot of it is around the um, tackle area um, and around about the ruck here. A lot of them you know, are very, very green in terms of rugby. Um, some of them play but sort of forgotten and don't really know the new nuances um, of sort of pushing the edge and pushing the limits of, of certain techniques. Um, so I really look to go over that there, I sort of break it down for them um, and give them sort of, uh, I guess, a, a, a set example, give them a progression where they can increase to depending on how the level or a regression where they're able to, you know, probably drop it down a couple of levels depending on that group. Um, but the groups here are very wide, each age group, like the, the skill level will be from someone who's never played before to someone who has played for six years. Um, so there's a big wide variety and just trying to get them to understand and cater for it. But for me, it's planning. Um, planning is a big, a big thing um, where I do a lot of work um, with them about the planning side of things. I put in structure so it's, it's easy for them. Mm. They've just had a big, hard, hard uh, long week and you want to make it as easy and as enjoyable as uh, for them as well. So give a, can you give me an example of saying, uh, say with a, maybe an under-14s or under-13s coach of what st a structure might look like for them? Yeah, so a structure is probably looking at the whole um, year. So the whole season um, is actually looking at and actually theming some of that. So maybe the first bit is just getting some some high um, some skills and getting some some fitness um, in there. So just sort of catering that maybe that maybe for four to four to five weeks, um, sort of getting a little bit of team bonding there, um, and getting the calls, sort of getting them used to certain calls. So a lot of the clubs that I um, will go and help out and, and consult with. Um, I'd look to um, have the, the same language, for example. So right across from five years old through to 18 years old, they'll be saying the same thing or the same technique, same hot spots or key key factors for um, tackling. Um, so things like same foot, same shoulder, um, um, punch and wrap the arms on the tackle so you hold them. And that uh, filters down and that language is really um, has been really effective in terms of kids moving up age groups um, and even coaches as well because a lot of the, you find coaches even for the same age group will have five different names for the same thing um, and you multiply that by the amount of years there's all sorts of jargon when it's actually just the same thing um, so for me it's just theming that season so that language is, is really important and then start looking at the technical things um, I, I sort of always think about safety first so things like the, the tackle safety uh, maybe the set piece safety on certain um, scrums or lineouts. I um, mean, really look to work that into the system. Um, but I always, always like to, so towards that four or five-week block is start to initiate some game sense. Um, I think sometimes we can be so drill-focused mm -hmm. that we forget, you know, that there's no, it's not a stop-start game rugby. Rugby's meant to be flowing. And a team that can initiate that, understand that, especially from a coaching perspective, um, I think is going to do, do more good um, than harm. Um, and, you know, especially... Uh, over that long term for that player development, um, I think it's such a, a good thing, positive thing to do. And depending on what the coaches want and what they're looking to, to focus on, um, I'll, I'll get that from them. I'll theme and I'll chuck little five-week blocks. And sometimes they'll overlap, um, uh, but sometimes they won't. But depending, we just look to, to move. That's pretty dynamic um, document for that maybe, say, the, the under-14 group. Um, but it's making sure, you know, that the big thing for me is just making it really relevant 
and really fun. You know, those things never change. And, you know, I think about some of the, the best teams, um, most successful teams I've been involved with. You know, we had so much fun on the way. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what age group, what level you're playing, um, but enjoying your, your sport, enjoying your rugby is really probably the top of the, um, the pyramid for me. So a real challenge for coaches is with certainly with tackling and perhaps rucking and contact is to get that game sense into it. Uh, because obviously there needs to be a certain level of technique in place and you can't smash into each other for the whole of the session. So how would you develop that within a session or within this uh, block, say, of five weeks? Yeah, I, I uh, like to use um, uh, technology while it's there. Um, I look to compare and contrast, you know, a, a good good model of it and actually take short and sharp videos. Um, so if there's a, a certain drill, um, that the, the, the players need um, and do and there's a, there's a good example film that and then share it you know praise those uh, people they're not just on the paddock and that just sort of reinforces them and use that that technology it's it's on your phone it's on your your iPad um, and actually use that um, to, to good effect and I think you know to be able to to do that um, and letting the, the coaches grow as well um, sort of leading them in such a way where they've got enough autonomy to I guess, move left and right and, and de debrief them to make sure that, you know, there is some learning. Um, so they're going away thinking, oh, you know, I, I could have done that better. I could have done this better. Um, you know, I wish uh, early on my um, coaching career, you know, that would be great to have somebody uh, not challenge, but maybe just throw an idea, make me think a little bit differently of how I could do, do that better. And um, that's the, the great thing um, that I've found over here in Singapore is that, you know, people are willing to, to listen and understand and sort of question their own developments and ask so many questions, um, which, you know, which I enjoy because that sort of makes me think and, you know, that I've come up with some amazing um, uh, things at, at training, not from my own doing, but from watching others. Um, you know, I think Wayne Smith said, you know, when you, when you share an idea, you usually get one back that's even better, um, not by any uh, purpose of its own. So, um, yeah, just trying to share my knowledge and I guess um, impart some of that um, with these coaches. So obviously you have uh, made some changes to your own coaching approach, uh, as any any coach would who's who's keen and enthusiastic about it. What what can you look back and think? Yeah, I've definitely changed that. Um, yeah, I think making sure that you, you understand your team. Um, I think that's, you know, understand their ability uh, for starters, but understand the, the dynamics of teams um, and the personalities that come with it. I think that's really, really important. Something that, that I enjoy is, you know, the, the different personalities, those characters, everyone's sort of got one of those guys in the team or a couple of these guys in the team. So that's what I really enjoy um, is that, that connection, um, that, that personal relationship with, with each individual. I think that's the, the key thing. And actually, you know, sometimes when maybe a player's not playing well or, you know, they're, they're messing around, it's it's not just a disrespectful sign of, or they're not enjoying training. There's lots going on in, in these players' minds. And actually, you know, it's pulling them aside later on after training really casually and say, you know, is everything okay? What's been going on? And, you know, I've had some of the, the biggest conversations, deepest conversations, the most progress as a coach, um, you know, there's little informal formal chats um, that have got nothing to do with rugby and just checking in on them. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned as an educator as well, is to make sure that uh, you are checking in um, and you sort of understand that there's that, that time slot that you have is sometimes it's the only release that the, these these players have, and you know, and to treasure it, um, you know, and keep it as, 
is positive within reason. Um, you know, I'm a pretty pretty positive coach when I, when I do things. Um, and also just getting some leaders in place, um, getting some key people that, that can lead and letting them lead, not just giving them the title as leader and, okay, this is what we're doing today and get them to tell them, but actually getting them to come up with ideas because they, um, the, the players these days are so smart and switched on, um, you know, and they've got so many good ideas that, um, you know, left, get left um, even unspoken. I think, you know, as a, as a coach, you got to be confident enough to um, take that on board um, and make those, uh, get their, their voice as part of the, uh, the process of coaching. It was interesting uh, when you are talking about it, uh, you were reflecting on John Mitchell as a taskmaster. Um, now, I think we've probably got a picture in our mind of what, what that is. Um, and he's, he's probably a, a different coach to what he was when he coached you. What, what sort of elements of the inverted commas taskmaster do you use yourself or do you sort of say, well, I'm actually not that sort of coach? How does that fit in with the way that you are? Yeah, I, I think as a coach, you've got to, like, if there's a spectrum, you've got to be up and down depending on uh, where you are. Like, if it's a safety element, um, I'm very much taskmaster focused where, you know, there's no two or um, any, you know, left or right. It's It's, it's got to be um, a huge factor in the way I coach, especially you know, those the, the safety aspects of, of the tackle. Um, things like that so you know for me it, it is about um, driving those players in a certain way but being a taskmaster to some players just doesn't work um, and find those individuals that maybe need a bit of a kick up the backside um, the ones that uh, maybe need a bit of a, a, an arm around them saying you know you've got to do a bit better and actually knowing those players is probably key um, so for me being a, being a taskmaster um, is it's probably very rare unless there's a safety issue or if I see something that's uh, that's unfair or against, you know, some of the principles that we sit down as a team um, and go over, um, I'm very big on that. As I mentioned, that cultural side of things, um, in terms of having a good team culture. Um, and when someone steps out of the line, you know, you. Um, I remember reading uh, Ben Ryan's book, um, and he's got some great little snippets out there. Um, you know, yeah, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was saying, you know, if you let something um, slide and you just walk by it, you know, you become that. Yeah. Come that standard. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something that, that's uh, stuck with me and something that um, I think, you know, is a, a good uh, rule to, to live by as a coach. You're listening to a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. This is part of the rugbycoachweekly.net website. If you click on the rugbycoachweekly.net link, you will find out more about this podcast, but also find access to over 3,000 pieces of content covering drills, activities, games, coaching advice, and lots more to help you and your team with your rugby and your rugby coaching. So why not pop over to rugbycoachweekly.net to find out more and access all this amazing content. In the meantime, back to the podcast. Now, um, obviously, being in Singapore, it's it's a different sort of rugby atmosphere to being in, say, New Zealand or Wales, where um, rugby is part of the culture. Um, for the players who've not necessarily been brought up with many heroes, can can you develop heroes, or are they do they just appear? What do you do to have? to keep a player thinking, oh, yeah, how did you see? What did you understand from that? 
is that possible or is that something quite difficult to do? How do you, how do you, what I'm trying to get to in a roundabout way is how do you develop interest in rugby for those players who've not necessarily had rugby as part of their lives uh, right from the start? Yeah, it can be quite uh, difficult. Um, you know, you look at across Asia um, and Singapore, I guess, is, is no different. Um, that, you know, there, there aren't those, those heroes, um, those people that you sort of see that you, you look up to. Um, but, you know, we've got a, a, a sevens team here um, in Singapore. We've got the, the Singapore sevens. Um, so that, that creates a lot of interest. Um, I'm actually teaching um, with one guy at the moment, Matt Chia, uh, fantastic individual, fantastic player, and fantastic um, human being. Um, and he came to one of the trainings. He was coaching another, another team before our match. And one of the, uh, my players was like, oh, that's, that's uh, Matt, Matt Chia. And he was telling me a breakdown of everything he did in one of his games. Um, so there are those heroes out there, um, but it's just trying to find them and unearth them. I mean, they're right across the board and probably celebrating those people, those people that have been in the game for a number of years, those ones that have sort of helped. Um, but like when you get to, I guess, a, a certain age, um, you know, you're looking for heroes. And at the moment, there hasn't been a consistency of this. So they're looking at overseas for heroes, um, people that they, they aspire to, um, which I guess, you know, a lot of people do. Um, but what I try and integrate um, it's having those senior players or those senior members of the, the, the team coach younger age groups um, in the club. And what that actually does is these little five, six-year-olds are looking up to these giants, mm. giants of 16 and 17-year-olds. So they're looking up to them and just thinking, you know, they're amazing. They'll stand, uh, they'll hang around and watch them play and they'll cheer them on. And, you know, that that's sort of just, I guess, a little bit of a build-up of, of, you know, they're, they're the heroes um, for these young kids and just, getting that sustainable up to the national level. I mean, it's been hard the last two and a half years um, with no rugby um, at all or no sport here in Singapore. Um, it's been really, really tough. So just um, getting that, I think that's a, a big um, initiative that I love to see over here in Singapore is just really um, celebrating some of these players that have you know, worked hard um, and representing their country um, and just putting them a bit more on show, I guess, to show that you know they are there and that's something to really uh, aspire to. You touched earlier on the fact that uh, when you went out to Hong Kong, you were involved with the women's rugby. Um, what is women's rugby like in Singapore? And can you sort of give us some insights into your experience of coaching women's rugby? Yeah, um, I was fortunate enough to, to coach um, in the Hong Kong uh, women's uh, national team, um, sort of right just before they went up to the, the World Cup, um, they represented Hong Kong um, and some fantastic players. You know, it's, it's interesting coaching. Um, the women's side and then the men's um the men's you'll you'll give instructions half the guys aren't really listening and they'll just run off totally do it totally wrong come back have another chat well you talk to the women's team you, you tell them they'll ask a load of questions you tell them again they'll go out of it, go go and do it and they'll execute it straight away um and it's just such a, a different um different mix and a different understanding um but you yeah, really enjoy both they've both got their um their, their pros and cons but you know overall you know the it's fantastic when you've got individuals that are so dedicated um and so in tune with what's going on um and i think here in, in singapore um it is starting to grow there's a, there are a number of uh, women's clubs um, touch rugby is a, a big uh, feeder into the the rugby um, contact rugby over here um, which is great, but that's a huge growth. Um, you, you would have seen it over the recent uh, months and years, the women's game, um, and even tapping into it at a, a younger age, these 
I guess, you know, we talked about heroes. Uh, these younger younger girls, these teenage girls are looking at these, these people back from their home country or here in Singapore and saying, hey, I could do that. You know, that's not beyond me. Um, and they're really, there's a bit of, you can feel an, a bit of an underswell at the moment of this, this interest, this curiosity by these young teenage girls wanting to do uh, contact rugby, um, which is great because, um, you know, with, with touch rugby and contact rugby, there's so many different dynamics. It's a similar game in some respects, but in terms of, uh, I guess, character building and the rest of it, it is so different. And just seeing people develop um, over the years is, is great for that contact, uh, contact rugby. One of the challenges, I think, for coaches is to make games realistic in training. And touch rugby is one way to do that. How do you use touch rugby, given the the constraints that you've just talked about? How different they are. What 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 is sort of your go to touch rugby game, and what are you trying to get get from it? That's a bit of a curveball because I didn't ask you that as a pre question, so I put you on the spot. <laughs> no, for that's that. a really good question. No, yeah, um, I I basically use. I'm very big into um, skill-based training. So actually playing different scenarios and different games and just the continuity of it. Because um, what I do find is that they have to think really quickly and then maybe break it down into a drill, then go back into the game and see if there's any improvement. Um, I don't really have a, a go-to game just because it depends on what I'm trying to train for. So for example, if I'm looking to do defense um, training, then I'll cater it uh, more, obviously more heavily to defense, but I'd incentivize that defense in terms of point systems. Um, so rather than just say, the defense getting a, a certain win, you know, they may get two for it to stopping the, the, the wide play out wide. Um, so incentivizing things, changing the um, dynamics of it, changing the uh, constraints in terms of the field size, um, just to tag to whatever you're working on. So it doesn't have to be like a, a straight field with even numbers. Lots of most people think, you know, oh, we're going to do that because that, that happens, you know, that's what it is. But if you want to try and um, target a certain skill or a certain area of your game is actually focusing a bit more on developing that so making a bit getting more success from maybe saying you want to score a little bit uh further out wide out on the wing so maybe you put a channel outside on those wide channels where if someone scored no defenders are allowed in it but if they score in that that's worth like three points um so incentivizing um whatever that i guess the touch game or the modified contact game um i can do um i'm, I'm a big fan of it i've seen that work um work loads over, over my years as a player and, and as a coach so just thinking about uh, the touch in touch rugby, do you have any sort of uh, things that you have, are complete no-nos or are you just saying one-hand touch or two-hand touch, shoulder oh, touch? Yeah, what, yeah. What, what do you use in that? And so even in that, so defensively, like I'll go for a two-handed touch, it's going to be on the hips. Um, so things like that. Um, I, I like to promote the offload. Um, I think it might just be my, my Fijian side coming out. Um, so I really like to provide the offload. So even having uh, two rugby ball, uh, one rugby ball in your hand, um, a ball getting past here, then looking to offload any ball so you can do a quick transfer um, or even just the one touch and then you can pass. Um, so lots of different skills to get that offload going. I think the offload is such, you know, you look at those game changers, the Sonny Bill Williams with those offloads, you see the, the players with the offloads. Now you, you wind the clock back, you know, 15 years. Um, you'll see one maybe every game, if you're lucky, maybe two. Now you're seeing one every 10 or so minutes, those offloads. Mm -hmm. Now you see that 
it's impossible to defend when you get a good off right on. So I think, you know, the value of that's really coming, coming through. Um, so yeah, incentivizing the offload um, is, a, is a great way to do it in those, those touch games. So thinking again, further ahead, using sort of understanding the game, um, you're preparing for a match. How much would you use um, run-throughs in terms of things like unopposed run-throughs to prepare a team for a match? Where would that sit with you? Because um, different coaches have different views on this. So what what's your approach? Yeah, I I, I do do run run throughs. Um, I think they, they are valuable, um, but it, it's almost a controlled one where every time I blow the whistle, someone's going down and reacting. Um, because sometimes you do a run through and it looks really nice, and someone hits a midfield target, then they go out wide and it looks great, and they're a nice on the back, and the, the defense is just holding hit shield, and it looks really good, and you feel great after it. But when it comes to a game, it's it's nothing like that. So I usually let it let it play, blow a whistle, and then people just have to react and try and clean that whistle, and then have another ball rifle that into the um, the defense, and then they're now on take because things flip over so quickly in rugby. Um, so I do do the the, the run throughs, but I don't like to have that pretty nice looking one that just flow really lovely and you feel good out of it. I try and get that probably the last uh, the last minute or two. So there's a feeling from training. Um, but before that, I like to throw a bit of chaos. And so they understand that, you know, this is a game of rugby. Anything can happen. Um, it can be on attack one time in defense um, and making sure that they, they understand that um, is really, and just getting those people to react um, through those, uh, those run-throughs. And how much are you shouting or talking during that run through, what's what's your uh, what's your amount of input? Um, for those, I would uh, I'd be pretty vocal. That's probably the, the most vocal I would be. Um, I'm usually pretty pretty quiet and get them in and, and explain things and then let's go. But over there, I, I want to see some intensity, so I, I use my voice to create that intensity as well um, that they would get. Uh, make sure people's are people are in place um, and really sort of driving it. Um, and then that last. Last bit, uh, maybe the last five minutes, I'll get the players to run. I think that's really important. The other ones playing the game at the end of the day, um, depending on how much direction, there's sometimes I'll just let the, the captains have a chat to them and just let them go, give them a few scenarios, go through those. You know, this is yours. Um, depending on the, the skill of the players and the confidence of that senior leadership, towards the end of the season, that's, that's where I'd get to. Um, in terms of giving it over that responsibility over to those senior players. I, I don't want to, I want to, walk away from that I want to back up this is your training guys this is what I'm looking for and just tell the senior players and get them to drive it um, but probably those first ones I'm pretty vocal want people in place want them understanding you know this you know anything can happen reacting really quickly um, and really just being able to get that flow of that uh, that game of rugby now I'm assuming that the messages are going to be slightly different between say under 14s and under 18s uh, can you give me some examples of this, this, the small changes that you make, perhaps, or maybe the large changes you make between different age groups? Um, yeah, the, so the basic structure stays the same for me. Um, I, I think that's important because you still want to keep it simple. Um, people think, you know, you, you go up an age group, you know, let's do this uh, move here, let's add this here. But when you look at it, um, most of the time you're training for this one thing to come off and it happens maybe once a game and it doesn't really affect the game, doesn't really affect defence. So for me, it's putting those big things in place. Um, and then those subtle, subtle things, as you mentioned, from those age groups is mainly when I 
do change up the, the age group. There's a little subtle pass, a little behind that back pass where they're running onto um, a bit of space where they're showing a bit more deception mm. um, rather than just sort of, you know, the, the, the forwards taking it up or the big centre taking it up. It's actually showing a lot more deception in terms of the, the picture that they show. I like to show that same picture um, again and again um, for the opposition, but with those subtleties thrown in that will... Right. That makes sense. On edge ...and give them, a, I guess, a, a weak shoulder to run at or a little gap to run through. So... Um... With the under-14s, then, I'm assuming that their, whatever it's called, their playbook is going to be relatively simple. Uh, but by the time they get to maybe under-18s, it's more sophisticated. So for the under-14s, um, I'm sort of, I'm, I mean, I don't know what the school structure is like where you are, but are they, is it their first year of rugby in the school? I mean, not their first year of rugby, but their first year of rugby in the school there. Are they a new team or are they being established over a number of yeah, years. It's, um, a, a place like Singapore, which, which I found the uh, same as in Hong Kong, it's a very transient place. Um, so you don't um, come to school at, at 13 and go all the way through, like we've had people coming in and out. And I saw a picture of uh, a year group, I think it was a year 12, which is like a 16-year-old, um, a couple of years back, and I didn't recognise half the people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, these people that have left or these new people have come in or that person's left and come in and so it's really trans it's really hard to build that um i guess consistency as a coach i'm in transient places and that's one of the challenges here in singapore um besides i guess the the 33 degree heat um training during the day is that transient nature um so building those leaders um in place and getting that culture right is really important in, in places where you'll get people in and out, just so that when new people come in, they know the culture, they know, know the, the, I guess, the unwritten rules, they know the expectations, um, and they know, you know, what's, what uh, is expected from the players. Um, you know, we, we lose a number of uh, fantastic rugby players to um, the UK every year. Um, you know, some going to, to Harrow, some going to Wellington College, um, some going to Dulwich um, in, uh, in London. So, you know, we'll lose, we lose those every year. Um, so just to make sure that you know we're showing that consistency and I guess giving them that that simple pen to play, but really hammering those basics. Um, you can have all these fancy moves and all these subtleties, but if you don't can't be able to catch and pass to a certain element to a certain distance, um, you're going to struggle um, at any level you are. So that's a, a big focus um, for that. Is, you know, sort of simple things done well is, is very hard to beat. Um, and then you've got those players with a little bit of X factor where they. You know, they show it. I just tell the players to express themselves. Um, I think that's really important. You don't be too structured. Um, you know, structure's great. Um, you know, let these players express themselves. They want to have a bit of fun. They want to show that the big prop wants to show that he can do a bit of a, a goose step or something yeah. like that. Or the little the little guy wants to show that he's, he's tough and he can run into a big guy and and still hold his own. So just, just letting them do that as well. And the, the constraints of um, what we're trying to do as a team um, is important. You mentioned catch pass there. How would you, when we say we go back to basics, how do you go to back to basics with that? What does that look um, like? Yeah, I, I break it down right from the, the way you grip the ball. Um, so do the, the, like actually sitting down, like some of them aren't even holding it correctly. Um, so actually where your fingers go, which part of their, your hand goes on it. Um, and then looking at, you know, the biomechanics of it, you know, great thing about teaching sports science is um, you can do... Um, 
a lot of practical things um, with it and actually take the V analysis and actually show the, the, some of the other players. So breaking it down from a biomechanical uh, point of view it has been great, um, both for the students and for myself to actually sort of see that. Um, and then just actually uh, breaking it down so the passing as many times as possible uh, with, a, with a, a couple key points, like obviously reaching for that ball is really important. So it cuts down time. Um, and when you do pass, rather than sort of dipping your hands down to pass, I sort of talk about the, the, the straight line. So you get your heads up um, and you're able to just pass it over the, the ocean, I guess, over the sea. Um, just because if you go on, it's, it's a lot slower than I talk a little bit. Bring up, bring up for the, the maths fans some of the, the, the geometry there mm -hmm. uh, it goes on there um, but just doing that and then a, a big thing is for me is the, the follow through that finish so pointing your hands and holding it strong there after every um, every pass and that sort of starts building the, 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 the basic fundamentals and you can sort of see that the players that have played before I mean had well coached they do that automatically and then just looking to progress uh, their skills through that there and what does that so you've you've got those fundamentals. So how are they being drilled, or are they you putting them in games? What what are you doing to embed those? Yeah, I always start off um, pretty simple, with some statics, um, some static passing, um, for just before training, and then I build it up into maybe a line of four, um, and just a continuous where they're just running from maybe the, the dead ball line up into the goal line. Um, there's two people on the side and they're just hands through the, so they go one, two, three, out to the last man who will take it up to the line. Then there'll be another wave coming through and just getting as many um, touches on the board as possible. Um, and just all you're doing as a coach there is just yelling out those key points, hands up, reach for the ball, finish strong um, over the sea. And then you can sort of see the cognition on the, the, the brain and like, oh, that's right, I need to do that. And then have a little word with one uh, one player and say, did, did you do this? And they're like, oh, no, I didn't. You see them, then progress that space to a wider space, add a bit of defense on, so there's a bit more pressure to um, progress it. Um, chuck the ball on water, make it a bit more slippery, change the weight of ball, change the actual ball as well. So things like uh, using a basketball, um, using a volleyball, which is lighter, so they're understanding that they need to reach for that ball, but it doesn't matter what ball, and then look to drive that through. Because if you don't drive a volleyball that's a bit light with a bit of wind, it doesn't go to its spot. So little things like that, um, just to sort of mix it up. I mean, you know, it's fun as well. Um, and usually I'd, I'd like to finish with a bit of a uh, time challenge, seeing how many times they can get it through the hands in a minute, um, which is which is quite um, quite a fun thing to, I guess, start in, in the, uh, the training with sometimes. Oh, that sounds sounds good. Sounds interesting and sounds fun as well. So I'm just going to wrap up by asking you um, a question to make you think back then. So you've obviously been very lucky to have a, a good range of some of the best coaches in, in the game. Which which one would you sort of say that you most identify with? You say, yeah, that that's the sort of coach I, I aspire to be like and uh, the attitude and the way that they coach. That's what I would like to be thought of. Someone says, yeah, yeah, you're like him. Or her. Yeah, I mean, I've like looking at the coaches that I've had. You know, I've had. I think I've been under the tuition of uh, seven. You know, amazing All Black coaches, uh, British on uh, British and Irish line coach, and Irish coaches. Um, and I guess you know, there's there's two coaches uh, that all been fantastic. But there's two coaches that probably told something really close to me. One was my first fifteen coach. So at school, um, at Francis Douglas. So um, as I mentioned, that's the um, the Barrett brothers went there, um, Conrad Smith. So it's 
it's almost like an anomaly um, in the world where it's just produced these amazing, amazing players. Um, uh, Martin Dravitsky, um, I guess he was the first coach to, to believe in me. Um, he sort of said, you know, if, if you want, you can go all the way. And I didn't really take too much notice of it. Um, I thought, oh, okay, he's just been, been a nice teacher, thanks. Um, but I guess a, a coach that, I guess, believes in somebody is, is something really, really great. And similar to my first one where I made a rep side, um, Kiwi Sharank um, was amazing. Um, and I guess, you know, looking for right through the, 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 the coaches that I have had, um, I think Graham Henry was, was a fantastic coach. Um, he had a, a personal relationship and you sort of knew the players inside and out, um, you know, and was, was a person that technically knew his, knew his, uh, knew his work as well. He'd be watching um, endless hours and hours of video. Um, to make sure that he knew the opposition inside and out, and we'd break it down really simply for for the players, um, which all good coaches do. And he was well ahead of his time. Um, but probably my, my favourite coach um, was uh, my Maori All Black coach uh, Matt Tapo. Oh, yeah. um, uh, a lot of people may not have heard of him. He was um, he had an amazing record. His, his last game was um, against the British and Irish Lions, where uh, with the Maori All Blacks that we won um, the, the famous night in two thousand and five in, in uh, Waikato Stadium. Um, and he was somebody that was just, I guess it was like uh, having somebody as like, I, I guess, an uncle that sort of looked after, really, really cared about you, what you were doing. Um, technically, it probably wasn't uh, wasn't the best, but in terms of that care level and that actually deeper understanding of, you know, that you're, you're important, you're part of this team and, you know, he had, you knew he, he had your back um, no matter what, which is really hard to say as a coach because, in a lot of ways, you need that that separation from players, but he was able to do both, and that's why I think he was had such a successful record um, with a very minimal preparation time with the teams that he did have. Well, I've certainly uh, not spoken to him, but I've heard a lot about him because uh, someone I've done some work with, Jim Love, uh, yeah. who you probably know as well from the Mario Blacks, uh, just used to wax lyrical about what he did and why he did it. So. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. And I think what comes, comes across is that you, you've said technical, but almost second or third, everything is about the human connection and caring about the players. I mean, caring about them in the right way and yeah. being able, as you said, to find a little bit of distance at times because sometimes you're going to have to tell them as it is. And sometimes yeah. you're going to have to put your arm around your Right, Deacon, that's been brilliant. Uh, it's been really interesting. I mean, the enthusiasm for number one is absolutely incredible. Uh, I hope that comes across um, in, in the podcast. And um, thank you very much for sharing that. I mean, what an you know, incredible journey you've got to get there and um, all the things that you're doing at the moment. So thank you very much for your time with us. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. really enjoyed every, uh, every moment of it. Um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity for um, sharing some of, uh, some of the things that I've learned along the way. Yes, well, I mean, I've, obviously, we've, we've scratched the surface of it, but it's been, it's been great. So thank you very much for that. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. If you want to find out more about Rugby Coach Weekly and the podcast, go to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button and uh, you'll find uh, more podcasts and more about this show so thank you very much and good evening good morning or good night wherever you are in the world bye-bye thanks for listening to rugby coach weekly podcast 
If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.